shooting. Skimmer Way near Lakewood, Charles 478, Tango. Thank you for joining us on Inside EMS. Now the always entertaining Chris Zebalero and the Ted Nugent of EMS, Kelly Grayson. Here we go, and this is the best time of the week. It's the time to go Inside EMS. And it's also my favorite time because I get to talk to my friend, the Ted Nugent of EMS, Kelly Grayson. Kelly, how are you? I'm fine, and, and this is the low light of my week because really? I have to talk to you. I mean, I can hang up, man. I can hang up, and I can <laughs> no, do this show by I myself. I got, I got, got nothing for love, nothing but love for you, brother. Right, I appreciate nothing it. I appreciate it. So before we started to talk, I think we have to bring it up. Before we started to record, one of the things we were talking about is we were talking about the nickname, the Ted Nugent of EMS, and I have to tell you that... You know, one of the things that I used to do when I was the clinical coordinator at MedStar in Fort Worth and I used to teach all the, the training academies is I would give mm -hmm. people nicknames. And I got to tell you, I think the Ted Nugent of EMS is one of the best nicknames I've come up with somebody for. So uh, you should be honored and grateful. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm honored and dismayed. It's, uh, oh, dismayed, you know, are you? Yeah, Ted, Ted is a, an incredibly intelligent and articulate man and and that's you, uh, that's strong, you that's you and a strong advocate for uh for the second amendment you as well and, and you as well right um on the other hand he also tends to say really idiotic things like you uh, as well what are, where are we here are what, what are we talking about yes i know i know um hopefully i don't get as bad as he does but uh yeah occasionally he does tend to to shoot himself in the foot with some of his rhetoric uh hopefully uh mine doesn't extend beyond an occasional uh off-color joke and a little potty humor well i mean i gotta uh, tell you the power of editing nobody knows the difference this is true. This is true. I mean, we, we make you sound intelligent. So exactly. That there is pretty, pretty potent stuff. That's right. Now i got to quit drooling on myself and so we can get into the segment. But uh, So, you know, Kelly, about two months ago, we had a, a really great guest on, and we were really talking about autism. You know, one of the things that we don't get training in enough is when we come across a, a child, when we come across, you know, an adult, that has autism, and, and we usually try to figure out what's going on, and sometimes we pick at something else. Sometimes we think they may yeah. be drugs on board, or sometimes we may think that there's schizophrenia going on, and it's a mental illness, And you know, but we never really get into the fact of, is there something underlying? And even with metabolic yeah. disease, you know, we see people who are acting out and who are screaming at traffic, we automatically assume they're crazy without even taking a D-stick to find out if it's uh, you know, a metabolic this is issue. True. We have a really great guest today, so Kelly, I'm going to kick it to you so you can introduce her and bring her in here, and uh, let's get to getting Yeah, We'd like to welcome back to the show Kimberly Stanford. Uh, Kim's a parent of a child with uh, on the autism spectrum disorder and a psychologist and developer of a autism response kit for her local EMS uh, agency, and uh, she's here to talk to us today about recognizing some of the signs and behaviors uh, of children along the autism spectrum disorder. Kim, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you both very much. I'm glad to be back. Kim, it's great that you're here again. I think we had such awesome response to your first visit. And, you know, we've talked about it. Yeah, and really, and really, this is going to kind of be, uh, you know, a, a regular segment for us because there's so much for us to talk about when it comes right. to helping our providers, helping our peers understand something that we were re never really taught and we don't really have a handle on. So we do appreciate you coming back and visiting. Oh, it's my pleasure. I support it 100%. I agree. The need is, is great right now. Well, there's a couple things. First off, I'm going to ask you the first question. But throughout this you know, show, if you can kind of listen, keep a listen to Kelly and see if there's any diagnosis that you could come <laughs> up with. 
<laughs> that may explain will... some of the behavior that goes on here. Narcissism and megalomania. There you go. I will send you my evaluation and the bill. Thank you very much for playing. (laughs) You know, so today we're going to talk about how to recognize. We're going to talk about some of the characteristics that an EMS provider can kind of keep in the back of his mind when he comes across a patient he just doesn't understand. So first off, is it really, really hard to determine that someone may be on the uh, on the autism spectrum? It can be, um, depending on where they fall in that spectrum. I know we've talked before about the fact that everybody's different and and there is a collective set of criteria that will diagnose someone to have ASD, but that could be high functioning, that could be um, low functioning, and and there's a range in there. So it can be if they're on the higher end. Um, It can present sometimes, as you mentioned, the first thing someone may think of is drug drug abuse or addiction issues, or they may think severe mental health, they're psychotic, they're schizophrenic, um, and that kind of puts them immediately on the defense of this person is unpredictable or dangerous, and I need to be on guard. Um, sometimes it could even present as severe ADHD because they're very distracted and not paying any attention to what you're saying. So, I mean, it can be depending on, um, you know, where they fall on the level, but yes. So, Kimberly, you know, m- many times when we when we encounter uh, children and, or patients with uh, autism spectrum disorder, um, you know, their caregivers are there with them, and they can give us right. a skinny on, on, on what these uh, patients' issues are. Right. Uh, but are there and, – and I would venture to say that I and Chris and, and most EMTs uh, can, can identify some of the more stereotypical signs of, of an autistic child. Are there more subtle indicators that, that may go unnoticed by, by – providers absolutely. who don't know much yes, about it. Yes, yes, absolutely. And if they are um, if they are a young adult, if they are an adult um, and they don't have a caregiver present, you know, to say, hey, this is what you're dealing with and this is what you can look out for and this is how to interact, um, then you're going to have to look at behavior because that will be your only other indicator as to whether or not you're dealing with autism. And I've had people ask in the trainings that I do um, when, when I go to different departments, um, EMS, fire, p- um, working on police next, but... Um, one of the things that they'll ask is, well, what do we do? We treat them as if they are on the spectrum. What if it's not? Will that affect them any differently? Will that be harmful? Absolutely not. In fact, it may play to your advantage um, using mm-hmm. some of the the methods and um, interaction strategies that we talk about. It would be helpful. Um, but the first thing that if you get on scene and you come across someone, you know, if it is a young adult or, or an adult and there's clearly something going on and, and you're not able to determine what you're working with, but it just, I always say, go with your gut, that intuition, uh, when you're talking to someone or you're met someone and you're like, something just isn't right. I, I can't put a finger on it. Go with it. There's probably something under the surface that your experience and your intuition is telling you pay attention to. Um, so the first thing you're going to want to look at is when you interact with that patient, whether you're calling in response to, you know, police needing backup because this person may be having a medical emergency or, um, something may get violent and they need backup or whatever. This, the social aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, this individual's not going to uh, make a lot of eye contact with you, uh, very little okay. to no eye contact. Um, they may have some resistance to being held or touched. This is where you may see someone um, pull their arm away, or and, and it comes across as very... Um, very aggressive, very yeah. uh, you know, disrespectful, yeah. right? Very defiant, and and that kind of puts people on edge. But um, 
that's the sensory issues that we talked about the you know in the last show. Mm-hmm. And they're going to have a really hard time reading your facial expressions and your body language. They're not going to understand that you're getting frustrated or angry and that they need to change their behavior. That's just not something that is typical. Um, and they're going to have a whole lot of aversion at times to answering questions about themselves. And really, what do you do <laughs> when you come on scene? You ask them questions. Uh, what's going on? What's your name? You know, what symptoms are you showing or feeling? You know, those kinds of things. They're going to they're not going to be able to answer them the way that you would typically see. Uh, and you're going to wonder, why is this why is this kid being defensive? Why is this kid not listening? Um, you know, that kind of a thing. They take time. They need time to process what you're asking. And they may not talk to you because they don't know you. Uh, they're going to seem unaware or disinterested in what is going on around them. That's usually okay. what um, tips people off to. Are we dealing with the substance abuse here? Um, is this person under the influence? Is this person psychotic? Because they're just not responding to what you're saying or they don't mm-hmm. appear to be you know, engaged in what you're saying. Um, or since this is a spectrum, so let's flip it, um, they may talk excessively <laughs> to uh-huh. you about one or two topics of interest. Ted Nugent or SpongeBob or whatever their favorite thing is, they're going to talk your ear off, and you're you know you're trying to get your questions answered and assess your patient, and they're trying to get you know who's your favorite character. Um, so there could be anywhere in that mix, you know, to not talking or, or engaging with you all the way to not getting a word in, um, as far as social goes. Uh, so that is kind of one thing to look at um, when you get on a scene and you first meet someone. You're thinking something just isn't right here. Um, pay attention to those. Yeah. Uh, they they may invade boundaries. You know, you've got someone who I've met many individuals on the autism spectrum that are right in your face. <laughs> you know, the yeah. close talkers that we call them. They they're not aware of the fact that they need to keep um, you know a respectable distance. They're you know, and how that comes across. You know, especially to law enforcement, that's aggression that's coming forward, um, and it it can be you know can end in disaster. So that was one of the things. Yeah that I do like to talk about um, socially is just first thing to look at. What is, what is your gut telling you and how are they interacting with you as a person? So um, one of the things you pointed out, you know, and, and it should have been obvious uh, to me already is, is, you know, kids, kids on the, on the spectrum uh, often don't socially interact well. Um, yeah. But I'd never really considered, you know, I can spot that. I'd never really considered that they can't interpret social cues yeah. and, and, and my right. expressions as well, you know, and I, I've got a PhD in reassuring face, you know, what, what do, what do I do then when, when, when all my tools uh, are, are of no use to, to calming the autistic child is there, aside from just slowing down and, and, and taking things as they come and, and, and not pushing uh, is there any other? Is there any specific strategies to to deal with that sort of problem? Um, yeah, th- there are lots. There, the one thing that you want to take a, a look at, though, is if if you're trying to you're assess your patient, and you're asking lots of questions, and this 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 kid or this teenager or this adult isn't answering your questions, or they're starting to they turn their body away from you, or they start mm-hmm. to what we call engage in uh, self-stimulatory behavior. We call it stimming. If you see them flapping their hands more or rocking back and forth or humming to try to drown you out, then that's an indicator that they're, they're escalating, they're beginning to escalate. So you do need to take a step back, slow down your speech, uh, give them some space, uh, give them more time and, and just say, I'm going to give you a minute. Um, if, if like when it comes to the trainings, I'll get the kit out and say, incorporate some of these things, use distractors, use the sensory pads, give them the, the headphones if they need time to drown out that. 
Um, of course, all willing that the call is not, you know, life-threatening and you have that time, of course. Um, but that is definitely something that we talk about. Look at where your body position is in relation to them. If you're standing over them and you're very close, that's very intimidating. You know, give them space, take a step back. Um, we always try to encourage to come along beside and at their level. So, you know, if he's sitting on the ground, sit next to him, you know, of course, keep a safe, <laughs> keep an arm's you know, mm-hmm. distance in case somebody um, does lose control and end up having a meltdown. But those are kinds of things that when you're talking or you're engaging with them at first, if you see them start to just um, escalate, just take a step back, slow it down. Uh, and they can't read your facial expressions. They won't um, a lot of times understand your figures of speech or your jokes. Um, you know, I personally think those in EMS are the funniest people I've ever known. So I, that won't work for them, though. If you sit down and you tell them, you know, a joke or two to try to lighten the scene, um, they may not get it or respond to that. And you're like, well, now what do I do? Uh, you know, you just uh, be very factual, be very truthful, give them space, give them time. And, and that's usually, not always, but that usually kind of takes things down where uh, you get off that path of meltdown. Interesting. So, so Kim, let me, let me, yeah. let's switch gears here a little bit. And I'm sure. going to kind of put you on the spot. And from what I recall, <laughs> your husband is a paramedic. Uh, yes. You do have a son. I believe he's I do. In, in his driving years now, 17 or he so. Is. He's, he's 17. He'll be a senior this fall. And really, you developed this program because you knew that he was going to be, you know, possibly in a car with his friends. And if there was a car accident and, you know, how he was how he was going to uh, be interacted with. So I want to put you on the spot here and see if you can help us out. So okay. I want to put you in the roles of a paramedic. All right. And knowing what you know about your son. If you arrived on a scene, and not that he's your son, but if you arrive on the scene and you're going to go ahead and assess the patients of this car accident, mm-hmm. how would you deal, knowing the how your son, um, uh, you know, his characteristics, how do you now make that assessment with him? And how do you now um, make those connections so you could come up with, a, you know, the, the value of, of a great assessment to do the best you can to take care of him? Mm, wow, that is on the spot. <laughs> I'm this I'm getting a Come on, you can around do it. Come on, do it. All um, your friends are doing it. <laughs> stop, stop stimming, Kim. Peer pressure. <laughs> you have no idea. Um, well, one thing that I would consider I th- I feel like I have an unfair advantage though because I do know what his um strengths and weaknesses are and what will set him off. Um but or I think could we just possibly get the feel. I just think we want to just get the sure. feel of that knowledge. So you've got that knowledge. Okay. Now, I think all the kids or all the adults that we may come into may have different triggers, but at least they I want to be yes. able to get inside your head in the sense of how could <laughs> Scary we... Scary place. Yeah, well, you know what? I'm bringing a flashlight. <laughs> and so we could just have a, an understanding of the mentality we need to have in these situations. Okay. Um, if I was approaching and uh, I would assume then maybe that they're you know, being say, God forbid, it was a car accident um, and their, their injuries and I'm coming on scene, the first thing that I would do would be uh, knowing that I may be dealing with someone on the spectrum would be to pay, of course, you all do this anyway, pay attention to surroundings, um, look at sensory input. If I see somebody knowing him, he will, he may be isolating, he may be refusing to come out of the car because he's overwhelmed with emotions and and basically paralyzed that tends to be his response to things freeze um i'm going to ask him questions he's not going to respond or he's going to give me one word answers um something else that i'll notice is you know 
an appearance of, I, I would start to wonder, does this person have a head injury? They're not looking at me. They're not answering me the right way. You know, these injuries are by observation minor. Why is he reacting this way? Maybe I'm dealing with substance. Um, I would ask him repeatedly to come out of the car, to sit by me. Let's talk. I know I want to help you. I want to make sure you're okay. I'm going to see a lot of um, sensory stuff at this point because the noise, the smells, he's going to cover his nose a lot. I'm going to see him um, sometimes when he gets nervous, he'll he'll shake his head like he has um, a, almost like a tick in a way. I'm going to see those kinds of things that are that something's weird with this kid. It's basically, you know, he's a great kid, but something's off. Uh, I'm going to start asking him questions then, and I'm not going to get a lot of response. I'm going to feel like I'm having to pull to get everything out of him, and I'm not getting any information to work with. It's going to get frustrating. Uh, what I'm going to want to do then is narrow my questions down and make them uh, very short, very direct, and try to engage him that way. If I need to use visuals, I'll get my uh, pain assessment sheet out that we have. We have the boards, the communication boards, and the kits. I may have that visual to show him, can you give me a phone number? Can you give me a name of someone to call? Uh, can you write it down? Because talking is is not a strength. Um, something else I might do if I see him start to get up, because, you know, I'm going to try to get him to, to stay seated. He may say, no, no, I'm fine. I got to get home. I got to do this. Uh, I'm going to have to then give direct, short, direct statements, commands, basically. You need to sit. Uh, I need to assess you, then you can go, or I have to take you to the hospital, or whatever the, the issues may be. You've kind of got to get a little firmer and more direct. Um, you know, you may see somebody start to, to actively stim. They may start to hand flap or pace or walk mm -hmm. into traffic. Then I'm, that's going to cue me off, too. What's, what's this person doing? They're walking into traffic. They have no idea that they're putting themselves in danger or... Um, you know, I need to do a psyche vow now. Something isn't right. You know, those those are the kinds of things. Am I making sense, or is that kind of? Um, I'm just trying to walk through him. Personally. No, I think it's I think it's I think um, it's yeah. perfect. You're doing exactly what I thought you would do. Let me ask sure. you this then. So, I, I guess I don't. I, maybe it's a comment more than it is a question. So I, I think then from the provider side, and you know, we really need to be able to have a good, strong, I don't know, Kelly Watt experience, knowledge, uh, skill on assessing the things that we need to now, um, what's the word I'm looking for, that we need to now um, you know, assume that it's not a head injury, assume that it's not drugs. Mm -hmm. So we, we need to, what are they, pert negatives to you know, the things that we're trying to figure out. Maybe that's not the right term, and I, it escapes me at this point. But I think we need to have solid skills then because, you know, why aren't we thinking that it's a head mm -hmm. injury? If, you know, the things that you're saying, mm -hmm. why couldn't it be somebody who's on, you know, Flacca or, you know, some of these other uh, mm -hmm. designer drugs that we're seeing? Right. So even though I think that we have this knowledge, Kelly, we may still be in a position that this is going to be hard to figure out. It is. Well, yeah. And, and I think I think uh, one thing this or two things this demonstrates is that is that when it comes to dealing with patients on the autism spectrum disorder, we need to uh, throw our, our time on task and scene time standards out the window because these patients Absolutely. take time. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and our responsibility to the patient, uh, extends beyond a, scene, uh, a target scene time. Uh, and the other thing is, is that this is yet one more patient, uh, one more category of patients where that observational assessment that we often practice in pediatrics is going to be useful. 
um, you know, less stressful for the patient. Um, the more the more information you can glean from ob- observing the patient uh, uh, without direct contact, um, I think the better off the the patient's going to be. Absolutely. No, that is definitely something that you know. Even when I'm doing the training, that's the first thing we talk about is throw your your traditional protocol for times and I need to get, you know, clear scene and get it out the window because it it does not work. And honestly, if you've got someone that's potentially going to go into crisis, if you can spend a few minutes and prevent that, you know, prevent the need for restraints, prevent the need for, uh, you know, heavy psych meds and sedatives and what's it going to cost? I mean, it's really, it, it helps either way, regardless of the disorder that you're dealing with or condition you're dealing with to just be a little more patient. And if you have the the opportunity to do that and look for these things. Um, and the other thing I, I try to stress is it's, you're not going to be able to diagnose. It is very difficult. Um, in fact, sometimes it takes, uh, psychologists multiple sessions and times and, um, many assessments from all areas of life in order to get an accurate diagnosis. So, uh, you know, 30 minutes on a scene is going to be almost impossible to get. But, um, you know, these are just the things to look for to say, hey, I may be dealing with this. Um, you know, they, like even directional terms, front, back, before, after, put your arm in here, like that is difficult. So there's there's lots hmm. of things going on that you can say, you know, this person is really having a hard time. They're just not you know, it's not injury related, if you can tell or observe. So, you know, that observation piece is crucial, like you said. Yeah. Awesome. I'm kind of actually taking <laughs> notes. Um, uh, but the the more you talk about this, the more I, I pick pick up stuff that uh, I, I didn't really realize I knew. But uh, <laughs> also, the more you talk about this, the more I realize how little I knew. But also realize, right. you know, that my... Uh, that my skill set in other areas is actually applicable here uh, if yes. putting those things into place. And, and, and I talk about an observational assessment all the time, and, and mm-hmm. I talk about slowing down and and, uh, and interacting with, uh, or not interacting, uh, taking things more at the patient's pace than your own. Uh, and those things will, will serve me well in, in dealing with my oh, autistic patients. Absolutely. That is well said. Um, they do, and there's there's other categories too to look for, um, as far as language and behavior and mm-hmm. physical movement. Um, do you want me to just jump right on into that sure. too? Rock on! I would yeah, awesome. Yeah, sure. Okay, yeah. uh, you know when you're talking to this patient or you're attempting to engage with them, uh, you may notice they have uh, you know abnormal pitch or tone in their voice. They may mm-hmm. yell. They may whisper. Um, you know, they may repeat words or phrases a couple times when you're trying to talk to them. You know, I, I need you to sit down over here. You may hear them say, sit down over here. You know, that kind of repeat. Um, those are cues. Short, incomplete sentences. I mean, that's that's our son. He, he likes to keep things short and sweet, but yet you're not getting any information out of it and you're trying to pry. And it feels like you're working really hard to get five five words out of Can that. Can you give individual. us an example of that, Kim? Um, as far as... As with my as, son like when you talk to your son what, what do you oh, say oh yes yeah so for when he's sick or not feeling well even at you know at 17 i can i can tell something's off uh i will ask him, like you feeling okay no um and then there's a pause you know like, what's wrong <laughs> uh you know and he'll say uh, i don't know or my head what's wrong with your head do you have a headache do you know i don't know is it an earache? Is it a toothache? You know, it's really hard for him to put things into words and, and, 
and describe what it is he's feeling or or thinking, um, or the opposite is he doesn't register pain quite the same way. So as far as that goes, you know, he can have a pretty significant injury and I'll say, what happened to your leg? And he'll just look down like it's nothing and say, nothing, I'm fine. But there's a big gaping wound in the back of his, you know, it, it's, it's very difficult to get the communication piece because for him to actually tune into what it is he's feeling, be able to put it into words and explain it to me, it breaks down. And so yeah. you do have that moment where you're trying to really pull to get anything you can work with as far as do you feel hot or cold? I don't know. You know, and you're just like, come on, give me something. Um, you know, it is, it's really hard. So those, those moments of, and, and this of course is not active defiance where you've got someone mm-hmm. who's you know, sitting there with their arms crossed and just refusing to, to work with you. This is just, I, I can't communicate this. So I, I don't know what to say. Um, so oftentimes he says nothing and it's, you know, even to say, Hey, how was your day at school? Good. Or Okay. Um, which is typical teen behavior. I think they all do that. But yet to try to say, what did you do today? Um, you will really have to ask them pointed, short, sweet, clear questions of, you know, like, does your arm hurt when you bend it? Um, what does, you know, uh, I don't know, you know, does your head hurt? Are you bleeding? Um, because sometimes they may not perceive something as, as being problematic, so they're not going to report it. Mm-hmm. So that was exactly what happened. He had a big wound across the you know the back of his calf for days. He never said anything to me till I saw him in shorts. Um, like that's it was starting to get infected at that point. Like did do you not feel that? You know no. Um, so it's if they don't feel it or, or see it as a problem, they're not going to report it to you, and then you may you know have issues with that as well. Um, and oh. the sense yeah with the sensory piece too. But yeah. go ahead. I was I was gonna throw away uh, I was gonna add a, a humorous comment you know <laughs> saying that it's like uh, you know that, so it's not all that different than than getting history from many of my patients where getting mm. questions answered is like pulling teeth uh, yes. uh, and then and that's exactly what I was that, thinking when she was well, saying and that. then it occurs to me I wonder how many patients that I've had even adults who were uh, Right. on the autism spectrum disorder and that was the reason right uh you know we took him as yeah rude. yeah yes that's poor the other... historians you know i, was, right, yes. I can't right. tell you how many times i've said well you know he's a really poor historian i don't know what's going on with him because he won't answer questions right I wonder how many of them uh were you know exactly as you describe i just didn't recognize the signs so kim let me well, ask you this because i think kelly brings yeah. up a good point then and uh, as we're getting up there in time, we'll probably make this our last question. But sure. so now, you know, because I think, Kelly, exactly what you said was, as, as you were talking, Kim, I'm thinking, well, wait a minute. This is the majority of the patients that we come across. <laughs> yeah. And as I mentioned earlier, we really need to be able to have a good understanding of those differential diagnosis. Maybe that's the word I was thinking right. of before, those differential diagnosis. Right. So we can kind of, mm-hmm. you know, tick them off to say it's not this, it's not this, it's not this. So let me ask mm-hmm. you this question then. If we suspect that someone, you know, they're being difficult to get questioned from, we're thinking that they're being rude, is there something that we can do or say that'll trigger us in right away to say they're on the spectrum? Oh, that is a difficult question. Like a, a big red flag. <clears throat> you know, like what I mean, like if we touch them or if we, you know, I mean, is there, I, and certainly no. I, we don't want to do anything that's going to, that cause them, right. you know, uh, a challenge, but is there right. anything that we could put in our toolbox that would bring us down this line? 
Oh gosh, um, that is a really hard question. I, I would the touch like things like touch. No, that won't work because you're going to have individuals that that's not a problem for, and so that may not ha- happen. Um, I like to look at it as kind of a a trifecta. You have this person is socially awkward. This person has significant uh, sensory issues or behavioral uh, concerns that I'm seeing. Maybe they're um, you know, needing to, maybe they're having extreme fear for no reason, you know, because they don't want that blue stethoscope. They want the red one that your mm-hmm. partner has or whatever. Um, and I'm also going to look for, there's a, a collection of health things that go along with them too. So when we get a, a, a child admitted into one of our units, if, if I'm sitting across from them and they don't have an ASD diagnosis, there is a collection of things that you start to feel. It's like the perfect storm that you you kind of look at and you're like, okay, I got sensory issues. This child is having or this adult um, is reacting adversely to the smells, to the sounds. They're covering their ears. Um, they don't like either, you know, the touch of the Velcro or maybe they are seeking input where they're touching everything that's cold or trying to smell everything that you're putting near them. Um, but they also have these unique things of health issues that are going on. Um, you'll see a lot of them walk on their toes. They have an unusual gait. They have health issues such as, uh, you know, allergies, food allergies, um, and sensitivities, sleep issues. They have a lot of gastrointestinal difficulties that go on. Mm. Um, unusual posture. They're either really rigid or kind of floppy. Like there's kind of this collection of, okay, that tells me, I may be dealing with ASD. And once you, you look for that enough times, you really start to spot it a whole lot quicker. And you can be out in the community and, you know, see someone and be like, okay, that would be that person's clearly on the spectrum. And without saying a word, it's just observation. You start to collect all of that and it kind of goes in your, your toolbox. So if you, if you do, if you see someone who's acting a little odd, okay, yeah, it could be drugs. It could be psychosis. Or let's see, are there sensory issues going on? Are they reacting oddly to the bright lights? Are they covering their ears or their mouth or their nose? Um, okay, that's a sensory hit. Um, you know, or are they not feeling it? Is this person in significant pain and they're sitting there just fine? Still could be drugs or something else, but you know. Um, but then look at the health piece too, if you can. Is this person kind of awkward? Are they clumsy? Um, do they have allergies and food sensitivities? Is there a history of seizure disorders? Um, all of that is is our very typical presentation with our, an ASD individual. So that's kind of the things that I scan for if I'm not sure what I'm dealing with. And you still may have, you know, a mix of, you could have someone on the spectrum that is under the influence of drugs. Um, you know, it happens. Um, and then, you know, you ask for a raise because your job just got that much harder. Oh, I'll bet. I'll bet. Yeah. One thing I saw the other day on social media, and we'll try to put up a link in the show notes uh, that I wanted to get uh, Kim's uh, feedback on, was uh, someone invented uh, shoulder restraint uh, seatbelt sleeves with the patient's diagnosis on it. Oh, so yes. She's, um, you, you think those, are, those would be useful? I, it strikes me as if I had a patient who was, who was in a car accident and they're, they're altered, uh, in my estimation, the first thing mm-hmm. I would think is that they had a head injury. But if they're wearing a seatbelt that says, you know, autism spectrum disorder uh, or right. paranoid schizophrenic or oppositional right. defiant disorder, I would take an entirely different tack with that patient. Right. Uh, no, I, I know exactly which, what you're referring to. I think that those are amazing. Um, they're wonderful. Any information that can be added is great. 
um, if you can guarantee that that person is sitting there. He's sitting in that seat, yeah. <laughs> uh, right. Um, because I know that, you know, we take different cars. He sits on one side, he sits on the other side. I can't guarantee, you know, what if he's in the car with a friend and they don't have those kinds of things. So they're helpful, um, you know, medic alert bracelets or some sort of indicator that we talk about, you know, an awareness bracelet. I make him carry a card in his wallet, um, you know, something to just indicate, Hey, this is what you might be facing. Um, but at this, you know, at the same time, uh, you want to definitely not see that and then think, oh, this behavior is directly related to diagnosis and not, you know, a, an underlying medical condition that you need to rule out first. Um, so, I mean, I guess it has pros and cons to it, but I definitely do, you know, I, I like the decals on the car. I like the fact that, you know, you can give as much information as possible um, if it's used, you know, the right way and, and it's helpful and accurate. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, cool stuff. So, Kim, I got to tell you, this is really great information and truly appreciate it. Now, you did develop a tool for EMS providers. And if folks yes. wanted to get their hands on that tool, what's the best way they can do that? Um, they could e- uh, either contact you through um, the show or they could reach me at um, my email address at work, which is kstanford, that is K-S-T-A-N-F-O-R-D, at gladerun.org, and that's G-L-A-D-E-R-U-N. Um, dot org. I can talk to them about that, or they can give me a call, um, 724-452-4453, and my extension is 1205. That's right, no collect calls. So, no Kelly, collect calls. I think it's time, man. Yeah, it is. Kim, as as always, that was great information. I think it's gonna our listeners are going to find it very useful. Uh, we'd like to thank you for coming on to the show again. And, and oh, it's my pleasure. I would uh, love to. Yeah, so... If any of our listeners have any questions for Kim and, and less likely for myself and uh, co-host Chris Civilero, email them to us at the show at ems1.com. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes. And for myself, Chris Civilero, and our special guest, Kimberly Stanford, thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. We'll catch you guys next week. <laughs>